Welcome to The 7 Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing, the Omobono podcast that preaches the tips and tricks of B2B marketing. In each episode, we sit down with B2B marketers and talk about what makes them proud, envious, and angry in the world of B2B. Their revelations will uncover new insights that'll set you on the path to better ways of working. Hello, I'm Fran Brosen. I'm chairman and co-founder of Omabono. And with me today, I've got Dave Carmichael from Avenard, who's going to share some of the deadly sins that he sees in B2B marketing. Hi there, Dave. Hi, Fran. Thanks for inviting me. Not at all. Let's kick off by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself in terms of career. What's your role currently at Avenard? Yeah, at the moment they, they call me an executive and I'm responsible for our global solutions and industry marketing team. And you've been at Avenard about seven years, I believe. So I imagine the organization's changed quite a bit. I mean, a startup, obviously, um, created by Microsoft and Accenture, um, was quite small when you joined. Has it grown a lot? Is it very different now? Yeah, it was approaching, I think there's about 15,000 people, maybe less when I joined. It's approaching 36,000 now. Yeah, our parent companies have changed significantly. You know, Microsoft have got a new CEO during that time. Uh, and obviously the world of technology, I think the pace of change is fair to say is simply accelerating all the time. And what we're seeing, you know, stuff around AI, AI for example, that was um, you know, at the risk of using a cliche that was science fiction at the time I started is, is, is very much happening now in terms of what we're seeing. And could you talk a little bit about how your role at Avenard has changed over the years that you've been there? Yeah, well, I think the biggest change that I've sort of helped introduce at Avenard, as well as, you know, I, I originally joined um, with a product marketing background that I had was to, to help develop the money services capability at Avenard. And I've I've moved through various roles and then now run that team. Um, but the biggest transition that I've sort of helped develop is, is the move to adopting a, an agile marketing approach. Uh, we've been on the journey for the last five years now, uh, and that's been the biggest change to the way that we operate. So for the benefit of our listeners, could you just uh, give us a definition of agile marketing? It's a term, obviously, you hear a lot in software development, but less commonly used in terms of marketing. Agile is an approach. You know, we all kind of know what agile means, but um, from a software development approach uh, perspective, it's a, it's a methodology used to develop ad, uh, software. And um, the other main methodology that has been around for a long time in, in software development is called waterfall. And the distinction between the two at the highest level is with waterfall, you would set the requirements, agree what needs to be done, people then go away, disappear for a period of time and then come back with, you know, hopefully what was agreed to be produced. Uh, whereas with Agile, you take a far more iterative approach and you have various touch points that show the progress made against the objectives and people provide feedback on that at regular points rather than, you know, that long delay and then providing feedback. What we've done, Avenard, is there's a, there's a methods and approach in Agile called Scrum. Uh, there's a Scrum manifesto, and we are a big user of Scrum as a software from a software development perspective. We train our clients on it as well. So it's a serious differentiator for us, and in the process of trying to understand how to market that, I spoke to our sort of global Scrum coach and sort of, sort of said to him, 
does this have any value for marketing? And his response was, yeah, sure. If they, he generally believes it can help any um, part of an organization. So um, I uh, set about running a pilot for that. And, and the, the, the rest is history, as, as they say. Excellent. Let's start off with your three sins then. We're choosing three just because there isn't enough time to cover seven of the sins. But what are your top three yeah, I think I'm, I'm down for Ross. What well, makes you really that, uh, angry then? Yeah, well, this was kind of, if I try and take us on a little bit of a journey here, it's this, the, it's the, the Ross or the frustration that we face as marketers, you know, that we, we you know, we, we probably get up at the morning or we think through our week and the things that we want to try and, and get done. And then um, our inbox hitters and the IM starts. And the things that we wanted to do that would really, you know, use your cliche of choice, move the needle, you know, add business value, um, you know, further your team's goals, suddenly get thrown by the wayside as as the day-to-day tactical stuff lands and, you know, people expect marketing to respond to these things and almost seem to be under the illusion that, you know, we just sat there waiting for somebody to ask us to do something that they thought marketing should deal with. Well, because you weren't uh, busy in the first place. Exactly, yeah. You know, this this uh, assumption that we're just, you know, waiting for somebody to come up with a bright idea of what marketing should be doing. So do you think that um, you need to evangelise more within the organisation then about what marketing actually does? I think so. Very often, you know, bear in mind what we do for a living. We're not as good as self-promoting ourselves as we probably should be. And part of that is also around managing expectations in terms of helping the business understand and provide transparency on what it is that we are doing, agreeing that with them and um, letting them understand um, with regular touch points the, the, the progress that we're making against those goals with them so that when these you know, these new ideas that people may have around the business of what we should be doing as an organization, we can say, okay, no, that's, that sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, as you know, we're currently working on this. Do you think this supersedes this as a priority? Or should we put it on what we would call from an agile term, our backlog, our list of things to do? So you're actually using the agile process there, as you say, to prioritize projects one over another. Does that is that something that is accepted by the people you're talking to within the organisation? And, and who are you having those conversations with? Yeah, it's been a major breakthrough for us um, in terms of how we approach things. So, you know, to give you a little bit more detail on on, on agile, we 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 basically took the software developer training and we worked with our agile coaches and agile trainers within Avanade and we adapted it for marketing so we adapted the training and we adapted some of the examples involved as well so it made more sense to marketing people and the the goal of of scrum is to develop something that drives business value for the business in 30 days or less and you create a what they could call a backlog or a list of things that you need to do. You break that down into manageable components and you prioritize it. And you really prioritize it by the things that will deliver the most business value for the organization that you work for. So from a marketing perspective, that might be, you know, so furthering the brand, it may be generating leads, uh, it may be thought leadership around PR, depending on where you live in your organization. My primary focus is my team helps develop our 
campaign messaging, our campaign stories, and then we work with our wider campaign team to, to, to get our campaigns moving. So we've taken a product approach to our campaigns. Our campaigns are our primary product. And we work collaboratively with the campaigns team and other people in our marketing organization in what we would call in Scrum terms a development team. Uh, and they work together to agree what as a team they're going to prioritize. So I consider our upstream stakeholders to be you know, the business themselves, these people in the market units or service lines and our downstream collaboration partners to be actually the field marketing regions. And it's, it's really helped us um, provide more transparency in what we're doing, but also get more buy-in for how we approach things. So we use Agile to develop our messaging. We iterate on that. We get feedback. We share it with our clients. We talk to analysts. Uh, we ultimately do testing with our target buyers. And this whole process of involving larger stakeholder groups in the organization means this is no longer you know, marketing, creating something in an ivory tower. It certainly sounds like it's an ideal scenario, but I, I, I just want to sort of peer under the bonnet a little bit and say, how, ask, how does it work when you have a disagreement about prioritisation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's a few tools that we use in Agile, and, um, you know, one is called the definition of done. So when do you actually know something is done, be it a video, a campaign, a press release? So there's that element of we want feedback from as many people as possible to improve what we do so we can iterate and we can provide continuous value. But we don't, that, we don't want too many people to actually have to sign off rights on things and to approve things. So ultimately, we, we keep a narrow number, a small number of people who are actually approving things, who are actually helping us with what we should prioritize. And then others, we said, you know, thank you for the feedback. Very often you learn that the, you know, those outliers, uh, those people that, um, you know, kind of go against the grain on the, on the feedback, it's, they are representing a group of people out there. So rather than dismissing it, my, you know, the, what I've learned using an agile approach is to actually, you know, give them a platform for a little bit and, and keep asking them questions, you know, why do you think that? Why do you say that? Sometimes they're actually hitting on something that you just had not thought about, and that's that's worthy of further investigation. And no such thing as a bad idea, you know, that kind of mantra is something that ideally we should take into account. In terms of the prioritization yeah. things, I would we would use business value as as a metric, and you can do this by comparing things side by side from a priority perspective. And we do this with our stakeholders. It's like you know. What do you want us to prioritize this year, this quarter, this week? By comparing them against each other, we can give a rough metric if we want. We can do it by T-shirt size. It doesn't really matter how you view that, but try and use an abstract term that you can use to compare things against each other to realize what is the most valuable thing to do. That certainly sounds like it's getting you away from that frustration you talked about originally, which is just people loading tactical stuff on you and wanting marketing to respond. Let's yeah. talk about uh, one of the other sins then. We have uh, greed and pride to choose from. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll go with greed next because I think um, the, the, the pride thing is, is, is one of the ones that I want to end up on. The, the, the domain of, of, of marketing is that we own the messaging, you know, we own the wording, we own the creative look and feel and I think what I've learned is 
whilst we are ultimately responsible for it, it's important to open the door to let other people provide input to that and not be greedy with it in terms of the ownership that we have of it. And I think if what I've learned is the more, I think I've touched on this already, but the more you involve other people in what we do in marketing in a disciplined way and in a structured way, uh, and you don't just let them go gun-ho and go all entrepreneurial for you. And, you know, those of us who've worked in marketing a long time know that there's all sorts of marketing experts in our own organization who are part of marketing. Um, but if we get them on side, if we get them working with us, what we actually produce uh, is of a higher quality. It becomes more relevant. It gets used more. It gets adopted more by the business. Is that because you're listening to the voice of the customer a lot more through other teams that you work with? Or is it marketing's responsibility, in your view, to, to really understand what the customer thinks and wants? I think it's that's a good question. I think it's it should be our mantra to be the voice of the customer. You know, we are the ones that take the outside in view. Um, and we we drive that home with our internal stakeholders. You know, it's very often it's like, I, you know, I've had conversations where I know you don't necessarily agree that this is the right way to do it, but I'm not doing this to position it to you. I'm doing it to position it to your buyer um, who may not know what you do and your priority of talking about this capability that we have or this tool that we have really doesn't matter that much to our client. So I think our goal are in customer. So, you know, our, I think it's important that we champion that, but also that we drive that as a message or a, a way of thinking to our wider stakeholders, whilst also acknowledging that very often they are the ones that get in front of our clients. So, it's also incredibly important that we listen to their viewpoint. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, a great example is a, you know, a uh, just a presentation that we may create. You know, um, um, for to to get a message across, it might be a campaign, whatever it is. And you know, we would present it internally to our people, but it's it's these people that are actually presenting it to our target buyers. And, you know, as, as we all know, it's one thing to create a presentation. It's another thing to present a presentation. And you actually find what works by reading body language as well as verbal language. You understand what works in a real-life scenario when you're presenting something. When so you're it's actually in, in the room yeah. looking looking yeah. into the eyes of the potential buyer. And yeah. so, so how do you build the research process which is uh, going back to your earlier terminology is it is a typical sort of waterfall process you go out and you do the research you have your you have the findings you share the insights and as a result of that you might do some you know you you develop your campaign messaging so how do you build that client insight piece and and the, the listening piece yeah. into the agile process can you help so our we, listeners we, understand that yeah we've built a, a very defined structure that we've we've um, refined and repeated really and, and it the first thing that we do is we, we would create a virtual team that involves people beyond marketing who are subject matter experts representing different parts of the business from different organizations, you know, from sales to the business units, delivery people. We do what I would call is assess the current state. So we get 
We do, from our perspective, we do analyst inquiries. We look at what our competition are doing. We look at what's been talked about in the market. We compile that together. We share it. We get all the main stakeholders to share their perspectives on the topic, you know, how they think we should be talking about it, how they've been doing it with clients and customers, etc. That That enables us to assess the current state. And then what we do is we physically, and I insist on this, we physically get all the key players. And this is typically, you know, 10 to 15 people in a room. And we run a design-led thinking workshop for three days. And the goal of that is to develop what we would call a message framework, a high-level story um, that everybody can agree with. So using design-led thinking methods, we effectively blow everything up first you know we what are the club you know we got right back to basics who do we think the buyers are what do we think keeps them awake at night related to this topic you know and then we use designer thinking methods to, to bring it back in again um, um you know getting more detailed views on competition and what we think is our main differentiation and as a result of that we literally do draft a message framework that we literally put on big sheets of paper and we said to everybody, right, we want, are you happy with this as a draft? Right, stand behind it and we'll take a photo. So we literally get our key uh, stakeholders to stand behind the draft messaging. Then we go through a process that takes a few weeks of testing and validating the message. So the key people involved in the workshop, they all get charged with going out to their network of people within our organization to get feedback on it. So it's done one-to-one, it's done in round tables in offices, uh, it's done with executives, and we all we collate that feedback and we try and categorize it. We also talk to the analyst community and some of our clients that we know that are, you know that will give us a bit of time, and we get their feedback as well, and we bring it all together, and um, and then we will try and identify the key areas that we need to validate, that we need to explore, and we'll run that past our very small number of um, people who were looking for sign off on this, and we get their guidance at that point, and then. What we typically end up with is a few concepts that we want to test as a land or not, uh, and then I try and boil it down to some alternative wordings on the messaging. And then the next stage that we do is we beat, we test that with our target buyers. So we will literally design a questionnaire, and we will work with a, an external research film, uh, firm, and we will ask them to um, to run it by our target buyers and. The results of that ultimately help us decide and identify what the key messaging should be, what our buyers think are our key differentiators, uh, even to some cases what we should call the thing. So we agree up front that this is done based on what our target buyers ultimately tell us works for them, and nobody can argue with that. And that's how we get the story and the messaging over the line. So that's very interesting. You talked there about uh, starting the process with design-led thinking. So if, in a way, that's your strategy phase where you're collectively working out where you're going and, and, and how you're going to get there. And increasingly, with my team, we're using virtual methods of design-led thinking. It's just such a good approach. It, um, you know, the, the, the person in my team is, is the lead on that for me. And um, it flattens structures. You know, it removes egos. It gives everybody a voice. 
sometimes you're just voting with a sticker on, on what you think is is the best way to go and um it 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 really does help move something forward and give you a fresh look on something that you think you've been doing this for x number of years i know this inside out but the whole process of design and thinking will bring up new nuggets or fresh thinking that you've just not had before well, that's really interesting because I think one of the concerns that people might have about the very consultative approach that you've taken, where you're listening to everybody's voice, including the customers, is that you might end up with what I would term as lowest common denominator thinking. And people would argue, oh, well, you you know, you would never get the Cadbury's Gorilla ad out of that process. How do you feel about criticisms of the approach, the agile approach in that context? Uh, it's arguably a fair contact, uh, criticism. I, what I would argue is, which probably takes us to the, the, to the pride angle, if I can move us to that, Fran, is that, um, I don't get what I want. You know, I mean, and, and traditionally I've, I have locked myself in a room and done all of this stuff on my own and come up with messaging, you know, and you've got to not be, let your own pride go in this thing and, and, Take the criticism, or the you know, we call it feedback uh, that people provide, you know, and, and we have this mantra of you know, thank you for the feedback, you know, and even and don't don't take it on necessarily right there and then. Well, I don't agree with what you're saying there because of blah blah blah. You just said thank you for the feedback. We'll take this away. We'll think about it. We'll add it to the other feedback and, and take it on board. I would argue that you know. Two heads are better than one, and, and uh, you know when you're getting people from other disciplines, um, you bring it together. But at my job, you know, I typically I have a design-led thinking lead, and I lead the workshop. So my job is also to use my experience and my knowledge to point out to people who maybe don't have a marketing background that you know I, I know what you're saying there, but that's just not going to fly. Do you know what I mean? And, and it might be a term, you know, it's like, whoa, you just can't say that it's completely and politically correct and it, it doesn't translate or whatever it is. Or through to, yeah, no, that's really important to you, but there's a bigger picture here. And very often at that point, somebody else in the room will chime up. So my, my role is to kind of steer it a little bit. And it's a democracy up to a point. And then people who get paid to do the job that they do, have to make calls and have to make decisions um, in terms of, you know, what do we actually put in front of our target buyers to A, B, test, for example. And we take a pragmatic approach to how we actually get this thing over the line while still staying true to the, you know, the ideas of letting our buyers ultimately decide what we're doing. So there's that point at which the science becomes a little bit of a black art, I suppose, which is what I believe marketing is. So on that subject, um, you know, what you've described there, A-B testing, is very digitally focused. Um, Omobono does research every year called What Works Where in B2B digital marketing. And one of the things that we know is that only about 50% of B2B budgets are spent digitally. So I'm wondering, how can Agile help in those other areas of marketing spend? So for instance, maybe you might be doing a lot of customer events, which require much longer lead times, and uh, you can't change stuff at the last moment. Um, are, there, are there concepts in Agile that could help people make better decisions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that does, it's, that's a good point and a good 
um, thing to pause upon. I think Agile and Scrum in particular as, a, as an Agile method doesn't work for everything. I think Agile is great for solving complex problems where more is really, excuse me, unknown than known. And that's why it's good for software development when you don't necessarily know, for example, what the application is going to look like. Um, you really don't know what the end goal is. Um, if it's, you know, I kind of categorize the problems uh, into four real groups. If it's a simple thing that you're doing, you know, for example, you're boiling an egg, that you don't need to use an agile approach to that. If it's something that's complicated, so more is known than unknown, possibly like an event. Um, you know, another analogy is you're building a, is, is building a house. People have built lots of houses before. And if you suddenly look at, you know, if you're responsible, if somebody's building your house and you suddenly look around and your electrician's talking to your carpenter about how to put a roof on, you'd probably be pretty worried about that. Um, rightly so. So the, again, if, if you are running an, an, an event every year, uh, at the same, you know, similar venue, similar approach, just, you know, refined every year, you probably don't need agile to do that. You just do it the way that you've done it. Where Agile could be useful is when things start to get hairy in the last couple of weeks of that event or, you know, the, the venue bends down, the, the speaker can't make it. We can take an approach where we would use a traditional method for, for planning an event and maybe we would we would start to, to use Scrum as we move closer to the event. And, and then beyond complex... And we think campaigns are a good fit for complex. We did a, a brand refresh uh, probably a couple of years ago now, and um, it was very useful for that. We took, um, you know, we talk a lot about minimum viable products with uh, Agile. You know, what, so we now know what we need to pull together to get a campaign out the door. You know, so that we can start to generate demand rather than waiting until absolutely everything's been gold-plated and I's dotted and T's crossed. You know, what are the few things that we actually do need to create to start generating demand for the business, to add value for the business that then we can continuously evolve and continuously add value? So are you saying, I think it's Brene Brown, the the leadership coach, she says done is better than perfect. Is that something that you would agree with? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's certain things with software... Uh, an easy example that, that cuts across marketing is a website. If you're a new company and you want to generate value for your website, what's the minimum that you need to do to generate value through your website? Well, you probably just need a logo and a contact us, you know, and, and that will do. And then you can develop every other part of that in an iterative approach till you're ultimately building out, you know, the beast that is your website if you want to go that way, rather than waiting six months or three months or whatever it is for that team to build out this wonderfully finalized website that for that three to six months, you're not generating any value from your web presence. And what's your fourth category then of where Agile might be of use to our listeners? The fourth, well, the, I would say the other category that you look for, you know, we talked about simple and complicated where Agile may have a value, a minor value in those. Complex is where it really adds the value and that's why I think, you know, brand refresh or campaigns are a good example. The other example that I would talk about where 
agile doesn't necessarily work would be something that's chaotic. And an example of this is an, you know, an ER room at a hospital. And the best way to deal with that is really to put people who are used to dealing with chaos into that environment and help them make changes from chaotic to complex. And we have those scenarios in, in marketing where it may be an acquisition of a company, um, it may be partner activity, it may be internal change where very little is known and you have to try and make sense of that and, and then we hopefully make the problem more of a complex one which enables us to put more of a defined operational structure in place and then from complex, we can make some of the problems complicated because we've dealt with them before and they're repeating, you see? That's kind of how I view the, the world of problems that we come up against as marketing. Which leads me actually to ask about how you involve agencies, how you best think agencies can partner with you during this agile process. We insist that our, the agencies that we work with work with us in an agile way. You know, if it's a, a great example is a video. You know, don't go away and come back to me in six weeks' time with a video that's got a voiceover and, you know, copyrighted images purchased and everything else. Like, and in some cases, we've actually brought in, and a couple of the examples, we've brought in our agencies and we've actually provided to them a simpler version of the agile marketing training that we provide to our own people. I just wanted to go back to that video example that you used because... I mean, you term it agile, but in some ways you would just say that's just sensible best practice. Uh, you know, it's you not would, in anybody's interest to present you with the finished product rather than to share early drafts, talk about Absolutely. the direction, get some input. But apart from anything else, as you mentioned earlier, it's about it's, it's de-risking. You don't want to go to the expense of finishing something and then discover you haven't got it right. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I'm a great believer in that. Is actually common sense. But what it's also enabled us to do is is create some structure around how you know if we take the video example, um, you know how we do break it down into iterative steps. You know, so we actually make it change it from complex to complicated. So you know, it becomes a you know, so okay, let's start with a mood board. You know, let's yeah. start with a, a story idea. Let's Let's wear that up into a, uh, a script and let's iterate on that and, you know, try and lock that down. Let's then let's start to look at some imagery ideas and let's start to piece those together into a storyboard now. Let's start to move to the animation. You know, so you've so got we, a much better agreed step-by-step process which both parties buy into yeah. and hopefully you get less less nasty surprises in the process. Yeah, and we've done that with our campaign approach as a whole now. So we, we, we know what a minimum viable product could look like, but we also know at what point, you know, from rather than waiting until we've actually, for example, we engage our creative agency when the draft messaging is done rather than waiting another six weeks till we've had it completely... Uh, approved and, and agreed with our target buyers. We know we've got enough to brief an agency with a creative brief as soon as we've got that draft messaging. We also know that we can give the heads up to the regions on when the campaign is coming and um, as a minimum viable product and what the key messages are so they can start to think about it before we actually get that minimum viable product done. You know, we can start to give longer line of sight to our PR teams and our other key 
parts of the organization so that they can start to plan much earlier because it's not you have this waterfall to waterfall to waterfall where you know that the regions get told about it in this big bang and then they spend whatever length of time they need to do to localize the campaign to talk to their local agencies about this how they want to get that campaign out the door and there's a few more weeks of generating value for the business goal it's all about reducing the time to value for the organization and there's no reason why you can't kick off the next stage before the other stage has finished as long as you're aware of the risks of doing that and you plan accordingly and mitigate those. Dave, you're a fantastic evangelist for Agile. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of The Seven Deadly Sins of B2B Marketing from Omobono, then please subscribe to the podcast, share with your colleagues, or even leave us a review. We welcome feedback. Please contact us at sins at omobono.com.